Please remember the views and opinions expressed by this show or any other show on DV Radio and its guests are strictly those of said individuals and do not reflect those of the DV Radio staff nor the staff of dysfunctional veterans. Our nation's veterans and first responders have given so much to protect our American lands. Now it is they who should enjoy the beauty and therapeutic nature of outdoor adventures. We are here to share their stories and those of organizations working hard to make opportunities available to you. This is Bullets, Blades, and Hooks. All right, in this episode, we're going to be doing uh, Camp Hero. Uh, we have Rocco from Camp Hero here that we're going to be talking with about his organization and what they've got going on. So, uh, Rocco, tell us a little bit about Camp Hero and about yourself and, and how this all got started. Okay. Yeah, first off, I appreciate you guys asking me to come on. Um, biggest thing is let people know that there are organizations like Camp Hero out there. Um, so I'll go ahead and tell a little bit about myself. Uh, Live here in Kentucky, uh, right? I actually was in the delayed entry program, signed up for the Navy my junior year of high school, went in the Navy. Um, I did electronic warfare and crypto in the Navy. Um, however, about four years in, I had to sign up for a six year contract. Uh, I became disabled, medically retired. Um, medically retired August 24th, 2001, so before 9 11. And um, I ended up healing up from that, ended up doing some contract security at uh, Fort Knox, worked the gates there after 9-11. Then in uh, 2009, I became a police officer in Shepherdsville, just south of Louisville. Um, I was very proactive, um, very proactive officer. And um, I loved working dope because I saw how much drugs affected families and, you know, and how it completely destroyed families and how it affected their kids and everything else. So I was very proactive. I loved being involved with the kids in the community. Um, so I'd play basketball with them, play football. You know, I'd drive through the trailer parks and, you know, Section 8 apartments and stuff, and kids would come running, you know, yelling, you know, Rocco, Rocco, Rocco. And then, you know, they'd come to the car. and I'd give them stickers and hang out with them and stuff. And a lot of times, you know, I've locked up their family members and, you know, the parents, but they understood, you know, it wasn't my fault, you know, the, the parents had screwed up, but I figured, you know, a lot of those kids, if they didn't have any type of positive influence in their life, they really didn't have a chance. And so I, I tried to be at least some kind of positive influence. And um, I actually, there's a lot of kids that have grown up that are adults now I'm friends with on Facebook. And there's a lot of people actually that I made convicted felons that I'm friends with also um, because I held them accountable. Um, if I found someone who was on dope and had drugs, they had kids and stuff, I'd talk to them. Every single time I'd arrest them, I'd talk to them. Um, and I'd tell them, hey, I'm going to be checking on you. Every time I see you, I'm going to check on you. So if I see them walking down the street and uh, I'm working, I'd pull in the driveway right in front of them, get out. And I'd be like, hey, you got any dope on you? And they'd be like, oh, Rocco, come on. And sure enough, <laughs> you know, so, you know, they knew, you know, I was I, I kept them in check and uh, eventually it got to a point where they got in trouble enough to where they had to change their lives. And, you know, they tell me, you know, I, I pretty much saved their lives. And, you know, if it wasn't for me staying on them, then, you know, they could have probably been dead or, you know, in prison forever. Well, since I was, you know, very proactive, I knew a lot of the high drug areas. 
Um, on July 3rd, 2016, I was watching these apartment complex where a lot of drug activity was, and a vehicle had left the apartments. She drove by me. I ran her plate real quick. She had a suspended license. She pulled into a gas station. I pulled in behind her. Um, it was raining, and she pulled up to the gas pump, so we were covered. And I walked up to her and said, yeah, the reason I stopped you is, you know, so you have a suspended license. And she had a passenger. He didn't have a license either. Well, I had a um, backup unit was already en route because they knew if I called out traffic to stop, then I'm probably getting into some shit because that's just what happens. And uh, so they were on their way. Um, I got the information from the driver and passenger. Backup shows up. I go back to my car to finish running them. And the uh, female, who was the driver, had multiple felony warrants uh, for burglaries, fleeing from police. Um, she had warrants for trying to run over an ex-boyfriend. And it had all kinds of alerts on there, you know, because she had prior convictions for assault on a police officer and stuff like that. Uh, while I was running them, my backup unit uh, noticed she was getting real skittish, so he asked her for her keys, got her keys, put them on top of her car. Um, so when I walked up to the car, opened up the door, told her to step out, she's like, well, I need to roll up my window search. And she grabbed the keys. Well, when she grabbed the keys, I bent over to try to get the keys out of her hand. But in that split second, she was able to find the right key, get in the ignition, get it started, get it floored. So I was stuck between her steering wheel and her body with the door open. She floored it and dragged me about 65 feet. She made a right hand turn. I rolled out. Um, hit the curb with my neck and upper back, and then she ran over my legs. <clears throat> Pure adrenaline kicks in. I jump up, run to my car. I'm pissed off because she's getting away. I get to my car, um, start going the direction she did on the road, but it was rainy and dark. She didn't have her lights on, and she had ended up pulling in behind a VFW post down the road. I went down about a mile, mile and a half. My back and neck started tightening up real bad, so I just went ahead and stopped, pulled over since I knew who she was. Um, had EMS come get me to check me out. Um, ended up going to the hospital that night. They uh, did x-rays and CT scans, stuff, and ultrasounds, make sure there was no internal bleeding, everything. They just thought I had an upper neck and back strain. And uh, they went ahead and told me, you know, take off the rest of the week, follow up with a work comp doctor the next week. Uh, two days later, my buddy ended up finding the girl and the guy. Um, the state trooper he told me actually he told me that night he texted me when i was at the hospital he's like yeah don't worry i'm gonna find that bitch and sure enough, he, <laughs> sure, sure enough he, he ended up drugging dragging her, her came out of a closet up in louisville out of a out of a dope house and um arrested her and uh well after that week of being off i followed up with a work comp doctor and he told me you know just start going to physical therapy twice a week and uh, so I'll do it, went back to work, um, going through physical therapy twice a week. And after about a month of all the muscles loosening up, it started hurting more in my neck. I mean, it was hurting just to hold my head up. So they went ahead and ordered an MRI. They couldn't find out that it had four herniated discs in my neck, oh. and I had four herniated discs in my lower back. And um, they put me off work. Um, that was in the end of August. So come about october i had my first cervical fusion in my neck and um out here the whole time i was thinking okay i'm gonna heal up from this and go back to work you know because i was 
I, I wanted to go back to work, you know, and um, come December when I did my follow-up on that surgery, everything kept getting worse. Um, I was starting to lose feeling in my hand. I was starting to fumble with stuff. Um, and uh, finally the doctor told me, he's like, yeah, I, I think you, you're too far damaged. This is a permanent injury. So I'm gonna, you're going to have to put in for a medical retirement. And then that's when everything just came to a head. Um, that's when, you know, a lot of people don't think about it, but when police and first responders are called to somewhere, that's probably that person's worst day of their life. So yeah. they get to experience everyone's worst day of their life all day long, every day, you know, whether that's, you know, a suicide, whether that's domestic, whether that's, you know, fatality, vehicle fatality with kids involved, you know, and, you know, when you're working as a police officer, you just put that in your pocket. That's just, you know, it's part of your work. Can you just deal with it? But eventually you're going to, something's going to happen that's going to bring all that out. Um, and mine was realizing that I was permanently disabled and I have to leave a career that I absolutely loved. I had to lose an identity that I, I thought, of, you know, I was, I was a cop you know, and someone's taking that away from me and it wasn't by my choice. Yeah. So at that point, I started to feel like I no longer had a purpose. I thought I was going to just be a burden on people. You know, I can't work. You know, I was a cop. What am I going to do now? Um, you know, so I was actually, I was suicidal. I was actually looking up ways online to try to make it uh, look like an accident, um, try to, so my kids could still get life insurance. Um so, I mean, I was looking up ways for, you know, accidental, accidental poisonings, um, stuff like that. And eventually I was like, you know, I, the, I need to get some help. So I looked online, I was looking for first responder mental health stuff. There was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. There was no resources at all for first responder mental health stuff. So I went ahead and, you know, since I still had, I had TRICARE because I was retired out of the Navy. I went ahead and, you know, went to the military mental health because I didn't want to go to a civilian, you know, mental health person because I didn't think they would understand. Um, and it, it just, and I think that's the same way with a lot of vets and first responders is they don't want to talk to someone who doesn't deal with that regularly. So I went to the military mental health. Um, I got, I got, got on meds. Um, started talking to a therapist. Um, in the meantime, you know, we, we went ahead and went to trial on the lady that ran me over. And um, she, even in trial, she admitted that when I pulled in behind her, she knew she had warrants and she'd already made the decision she was going to do anything she could not to go to jail that day. So essentially, she didn't care if I died. She didn't care if she would have killed me. She was not going to go to jail that day. Um, she ended up being found guilty of assault first, which is the same level as attempted murder. Um, so and she ended up getting sentenced to 40 years in prison. She's got to do at least she's got to do at least 20 before she's eligible parole. She's like a four-time, she's like a four-time convicted felon. So her sentencing date was actually the last day I was a cop because I was gonna retire that day. Um, so you know, it was a really emotional day. Um, she got sentenced. I did my last call out. I don't know if you've seen the videos where people do their their, their last um, out of service call on the radio. That was like, you know, really emotional um, because that was pretty much, you know, that was that was ending my career 
And yeah. uh, so while going through therapy, you know, I I was talking about how I ended up, you know, I, I wanted to still help other people. And I ended up finding groups of other wounded officers online. And I started talking to them and, you know, doing like a peer support thing and telling them what I've done to help me and stuff that I found out that worked. And so talking to my therapist, you know, I was talking about my identity thing and how I was still struggling with that. And he said, your identity was never that of a sailor. It wasn't that of a police officer. Your identity is a servant. And uh, once I realized that, then I was like, that that's true. I don't have to have these exact titles to do what people are born to do. I mean, people, you need a mission. Exactly. And people who are in the military, people who are first responders, they don't just decide to try this. This is something that, especially career ones, this is something that they were born to do. This is their whole, they want to serve. And um, so once I realized that that was my true identity was a servant, um, I started hosting other wounded officers and stuff here in Kentucky. Started getting back in the outdoors because I was big in the outdoors ever since I was a kid, hunting, fishing, stuff like that. Oh, but yeah. Dealing with the post-traumatic stress and depression, I regressed from everything that I enjoyed. I just, I, I, I no longer felt enjoyment in anything that I did. I started getting back in the outdoors and I realized how therapeutic it was just being out there. Whether it's just sitting there fishing, I, don't, I didn't care if I caught anything, but watching the ducks go by, watching just being out there and smelling and hearing and experiencing all the outdoor experiences, uh, being in a tree stand and yeah. having the woods wake up around you, um, you know, seeing all the birds, you start noticing all the things that you really ignored all the time. Uh, when Hell you start, yeah. Hell when yeah. You, when you, when you start relaxing, getting in the outdoors and you start seeing all these little things, whether it's, you know, the ant crawling up the tree next to you, whether anything, and uh, you start realizing there's so much more going on in this world. And um, you're so focused on yourself and your own issues, but there's so much more out there. And it helps you relax. It helps take that burden off you because it realizes this whole world isn't on your shoulders. I mean, you've got your issues, but you can sit there and there's so much more out there. Yeah, that's that's exactly why why we're here. I mean, there's, a, there's yeah. nothing that, that reconnects you and regrounds you more than being at one with nature, uh, whether yeah. whether that be hunting, fishing, hiking, whatever whatever your bag is, mm-hmm. if, if it's if it's organic and it's and it's out in, in nature, um, it, it really helps you find your way. Yeah, and there's actually scientific studies on that too, and I'll I'll talk about that here in a minute um, when I start talking about one of our programs. Um, but in 2019, I ended up getting a U.S. Justice Department. Um, disability benefit uh, for being, you know, totally permanently injured in a line of duty. Um, so I ended up buying some property. It's uh, 160 acres in Jackson County, Kentucky. It's about an hour south of Lexington where I live. And I pretty much bought it sight unseen. It, I, I told my wife, I said, I want to buy some property within an hour of our house. And she said, okay. Um, so first place I found was this property. It was 160 acres. Um, it had an old cabin on it. It's 160 years old, built by a Civil War soldier. Um, 
who's actually nice. he was a, he was the third Kentucky Infantry, and he's actually buried on the property too, which is pretty cool. <laughs> but right. um, then they had a new cabin on there, and it was like three years old, eight hundred square foot cabin that had absolutely everything on it, you know, with washer dryer, uh, tankless water or tankless water heater, kitchen, and everything. Um, two RV hookups that were ready to go, city water with the uh, hook electric sewer. Um, the property had a brand new septic, brand new, you know, city water run to it. It was like run like almost 400 yards from the road to it. But anyway, everything was ready to go. I pretty much just saw around the cabin and knew the layout of the property uh, based upon maps. And I was like, you know, I really like this. I mean, as soon as I went down there, it's, it's in the Appalachian Mountains. So it's absolutely peaceful and quiet. And I just started feeling better. I just knew I was like, this is a special place. Um, I have 127 acres. It's on one side of the road, 33 acres on the other side of the road. And uh, so I was talking to the um, listing realtor and I told him, uh, I was like, I want to host vets and first responders out here too. Um, I want to, I want to share what I have here. And uh, it was listed at 239,000. And uh, I made an offer of 200000 Well, I, I went home and, uh, of course, I told my wife, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about putting an offer on the property. And she's like, let me guess, you already did. I was like, yeah, I already did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she's like, she just shook her head. And, um, well, the guy went and talked to the owner of the property. And the owner of the property's nephew was a Marine. And uh, she really liked what I was going to do. And she countered with 201 because she wanted me to have it. So, um, so my wife, you know, we, we financed part of it. My wife, she never even saw the property until after we closed on it. Um, mm. So she wasn't able to go to closing. So the bank uh, went to her work. She's a nurse here at the uh, University of Kentucky Hospital, the pediatric nurse. And um, he came to her work and with the paperwork. And he's like, so do you want me to go over the terms and the payment and everything else? And she's like, nope. She's like, this is his baby. Just tell me where to sign. And uh, so he, she signed it. Um, she went down where well, I took her down there after work, after everything closed. She saw this old cabin in the front right there. And she's like, oh my God, what did we do? She's like, this thing's <laughs> getting ready to fall down. And, uh, and I was like, I said, it's been there for 160 years. It's not going to fall down anytime soon. Um, but, uh, Anyways, like less than three weeks later, we started Camp Hero. Um, I went ahead and did the website. I started all the nonprofit paperwork and everything. Um, and we started hosting people. Um, even through 2020 during the COVID year, I went ahead and was hosting people then. I mean, it's out in nature. So um, we're in the outdoors hosting people. <clears throat> and that property that's 160 acres it's surrounded by 3000 acres of national forest too. So I'd like, I have, don't have to worry about any neighbors coming in on me or it's all, I can go to the back of my property and walk for two miles before I hit another uh, property, like private property. That's awesome. Um, nice. Well, when I was talking to the realtor, I, I was like, what's that other, the 33 acres on the other side of the road, what's that look like? He said, honestly i don't even think you can get down there he said it's really steep off the road and i said okay um he said but i think the neighbor on the other side of it who connects to it was interested in buying it a few years back so i was 
you know, debating on selling it or not. Well, my cousin had come down the month after we started, we bought the property and he found an ATV trail that went down there. Next thing you know, my phone is blowing up. It's like, don't sell it, don't sell it, don't sell it. <laughs> well, there's a creek that goes through down there. And uh, if you look at our, I think it's our Facebook page, Camp Hero, Kentucky, um, the wallpaper on there is the creek. Like, it's all rock walls, limestone walls. Um, and I mean, it's blue green creek. And uh, the creek actually starts on my property. Like if you look upstream, it's all wet weather, but it actually comes out of the mountain right there. The the creek does, and you know later on I found out that that's actually the cleanest water in the whole county. Oh, um, I see it. That's beautiful. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I mean, people look go their whole lives looking for property that looks like that, and I bought it and I didn't even know I had it. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what I tell people all the time. I say there's there's the God's involved in all this. There, this none of this. How it's lined up? It there's no way by chance it's lined up like this. Um, I also have a surveyed registered cave system that goes under my property that you you get in through the front of the property. So if you scroll down and you see the guy in UK gear on my website, that's like the entrance to the cave. Um, he's actually a good friend of mine, an NFL player. He used to he was a defensive tackle at University of Kentucky, but. Um, so I got a cave system that goes under my property. It's called Misty Cave. It's one of the only cave systems east of the Mississippi River that makes a complete loop underground. Um, and I got that creek over there. And I did some research. And that creek, actually, it's called Station Camp Creek. Station Camp Creek was the creek that Daniel Boone first settled on when he came to Kentucky. He settled there for a year and a half um, because he called it leisurely hunting because of all the natural mineral, mineral licks around there. So I'm like, well, heck, Daniel Boone thought it was good to hunt. You know, I guess that's, <laughs> I mean, a good spot. And uh, so, yeah, we've been hosting vets and first responders to come out and hunt. Um, now, in addition to the 160 acres I own, I also lease another 3,000 acres in the same county. So we have about 3,200 acres, which is five square miles of forest and mountains out there. It's all in the same county which is surrounded by tens of thousands of acres of national forest, which is all open hunting. You can just, it's all public. You can just go in and hunt. And a good majority of it, you can't even access it unless you're going through private property. So it's, it's like the perfect place. And, and, you know, so I bring people out there and um, I realize, you know, I can get six or seven people, vets or first responders that have never met each other before in their lives they get there and within an hour, they're already making fun of each other because they just click, you know, <laughs> within, within two hours, they're making fun of each other's family. And then, and then by sitting, you know, then by the end of the night, sitting around the campfire, people start talking about stuff they want to talk to their family about because they know the person to the left of them gets it. And they know the person to the right of them gets it. Yeah. And um, when they'll start talking and someone else would be like, I know I felt the exact same way it's a huge relief because when people are dealing with mental health, they think they're alone and they're the only person that's dealing with that. And when they can sit there and talk to someone else and hear that they also felt the same way, or they've also done the same thing or something also causes the same reaction to them. It's like a huge 
burdens been lifted off your shoulders and you know that there's someone there who understands. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I realized going through all this that, you know, the, the biggest support is, is the other people that have been through it. And, you know, I can, I've got great therapists and stuff like that, that I go talk to, but the biggest thing is being able to have someone there to understand you that you can talk to whenever you want. Um, right on. And one of the things with with the, the mental health aspect of, of veterans and, and first responders is um, it, you have a stigma of like, oh, there's something wrong with me because I because I feel this way or whatever. But the reality is there's actually something right with you. That's why you feel that way, like because you understand what you've been through, what you've seen, what you've witnessed. Um, and it should affect you. Exactly. And the thing is, mental health needs to be treated just like physical health. Um, you know, when you get sick, you go to the doctor, they treat you, they know, it. you know, same thing with mental health. It, and, and it shouldn't be looked at as something negative because your mind is going to react to stuff that happens. I mean, that's just like your body reacts to stuff. You know, you burn yourself, you pull your hand away from it. In your mind, when you see something or experience something that's negative, it's going to have a, an adverse effect. Um, so, you know, I've been able to, I've talked to a lot of people. I've got a lot of great support. Um, and uh, here in July, I, I had my, my eighth spinal surgery. I had a lumbar fusion. Um, and uh, it was, it, I, I've also got a pain pump implanted. Um, and sends pain meds directly to my spine. Spinal cord stimulator implanted that has two wires up in my spine that help block the pain signal from reaching. And then I also got a bladder stimulator implanted because now because of the spinal cord injury, my bladder is not working right. Um, but Camp Hero is my purpose. Um, if that, you know, I have a lot of bad days, um, but this, once I was able to find my purpose, then that's, a big part of mental health is knowing you have a purpose and knowing you have something, you know, that whether it be other people that counts on you or, you know, something that where you have a worth, um, then the, the, I mean, that's like, if it wasn't for Camp Hero, I would, you know, I got family and stuff that loves me, but it's knowing that I have Camp Hero, that's what keeps me going every day. Um, and it's normal to have bad days. It's normal to feel like shit and not want to do anything. That's just, I mean, it is what it is. And I tell people all the time, it's okay It's to feel bad. It's okay, you know, to not be right. And, um, well, you know, like I had mentioned earlier before we started recording, a lot of people don't realize, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there about, you know, veterans, veteran suicide veteran suicide rate, stuff like that. Well, because of the stigma with first responders, a lot of information is not put out there. Um, and one of the stats is with active police officers that twice as many active police officers commit suicide than are killed in the line of duty. Um, wow. And it, that, that they don't, I mean, they don't put suicide and stuff on the news or report it. And um, actually the, uh, the, department that has the most suicide rate is Chicago. Um, and I've, I've actually just had some Chicago police officers come down a couple of weeks ago that I'm really good friends with. And I had met them on a patch trading page, but, uh, 
Uh, and you know, it it's really hard to get past that stigma for first responders um, because they don't want to give up that gun and badge. They don't want to give up that title. They don't want to give up that job. Uh, they don't want to appear weak. Uh, and, and so to try to prevent, you know, this from, you know, people from reaching that breaking point, um, Camp Hero, we, we've come up with a program called the Nature Immersion Mental Health Maintenance Program for veterans and first responders. So what we're trying to do is do the mental health maintenance, um, just like, uh, you know, you need to, you need to be able to decompress and relax every once in a while. That's that you have to, you can't just keep everything in because you're going to reach that, that breaking point. So this program, what it does is what we, I've partnered with a company called uh, Nature Reliance School. Nature Reliance School teaches everything from bushcraft and edible plants to survival. They actually teach um, SEER to uh, federal special operations groups um, for like law enforcement. They teach man tracking. They teach all kinds of cool stuff. Um, they're oh, actually right. located here close in the Winchester. And I'm uh, really good friends with the owner. Uh, his name is Craig Cottle. He's been doing it for teaching the stuff for over 30 years. Now, there's actually, he's also an author. He's written several books. Um, there's actually two separate times that he's spent 30 days or more in the woods with just a knife. And uh, <laughs> that's my kind and, of guy. <laughs> yeah. And he said, he, he said, I, he said, I came back home. I wasn't hungry and I had clean teeth. And I was like, right. <laughs> you know, like, that's pretty cool. But we partner with him, and what we're going to do is we're going to have 48 separate days a year where he'll come out and along with a couple of other instructors, um, and we'll host 15 people each time, vets and first responders, and we'll get them in the outdoors, and he'll be teaching them, you know, this bushcraft, fire building, structure building, and what we're going to have is two mental health professionals that will actually be mixed in with them. Um, these two mental health professionals are two females that um, work with, it's called Danville Counseling Training Center. And all they work with is vets and first responders. So they're going to go in there. They'll be doing everything, you know, all the, the fire building, structure building, everything else with everyone else. And then towards the end of the day, they're going to be like, hey, by the way, this is, uh, this is what we do. So at that time, they've already developed the rapport, the friendship and everything else with everyone who's there. Um, you know, they, they remove that uneasiness, you know, in the beginning, you don't want to be like, Hey, by the way, there's two mental health professionals over here. If you need anything, right. no one's going to go talk to them. Yeah. But if you say, if you just get them involved, they'll be involved with all these things. They're already going to develop, you know, go through lunch, go through everything with people. And then towards the end of the, like, Hey, this is what we do. And we're just going to talk about a couple of things to look for as far as, you know, things that, you know, might cause some kind of, you know, alarm when to get help, you know, when you might be reaching a point where you need help. And then they're also going to give them a list of resources of other um, therapists and mental health providers that work with vets and first responders. So that way they know, hey, if I do need help, here's some people that are already vetted that understand vets and first responders. So 
we'll be able to serve 720 veterans first responders a year through this program and it cut it's free for them all they gotta do is show up it doesn't cost them a dime um and so hopefully you know it's like i said it's a maintenance thing it's going to help them decompress and stuff and realize the benefits of being out in nature so maybe it'll start a pattern to where they'll go out and be able to do that and you know give themselves a break and understand you know, it's really easy to get out there um, and just do that. I've also, yeah, as part of this program, I did a bunch of research um, to show, because you and I, we know that being out in nature is very beneficial. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, just being out there and, you know, doing nothing, you know, whether it's sitting in a tree stand or sitting on the side of a lake and being able to observe everything around you, it's just very beneficial. Um, so I did, I went and I was looking, there was actually some research and a lot of it came out during COVID because people were being cooped up in their houses, not being able to go out and do anything. And it, the mental health was just plummeting for everyone. And uh, so they started pushing out, you know, get out in nature, you know, where it's still safe. You can go out, walk around the park or whatever. Well, Yale actually did a study that said, 90 minutes a week of being out in nature actually changes the chemical balance of your brain. It gives you a more positive outlook, um, helps remove um, issues with anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress. And But they said 90 minutes was the hard amount because um, they did they check to see, you know, if it was under 90 minutes, it actually had zero effect. But 90 minutes and more per week of just being out in nature, whether you're just walking out in the park, you're sitting you know, anything outside the walls where there's trees and grass and stuff around actually has a positive influence on your life. So, you know, with this program, we've had a bunch of, you know, research and stuff to push this. Well, let's go back to when in July I had my lower back surgery. And um, this was probably the worst recovery that um, I've ever had from a surgery. Um, the uh, When the surgeon went in there, and uh, he did a fusion, but he had to remove, you know, part of the bone and disc that was in there that was pressing on the nerves going down my legs. And um, when he went in there, uh, he, uh, it, it, I guess it was bleeding more than it should. So he had to put a drain in there. Well, where he put the drain line, it was right on top of what, those nerves that he had just exposed by removing that. So... Oh. He actually came out and told my wife after doing surgery, he said, your husband is going to hate me. Um, he's going to want to kill me after this, after he wakes up. Well, I woke up from the surgery and I was in so much pain. I was, I was begging him just to knock me back out. I was begging him. <laughs> and I mean, they gave me two doses of Dilaudid, two doses of morphine and two doses of ketamine. And it still didn't do anything. Um, like they were preparing me for a ketamine trip. They're saying I would just start to think you're in a you know calm place, blah, blah, blah. And they gave me ketamine, nothing happened. And then they did it again, gave me another dose of ketamine, nothing happened. Finally, they had to make it so I was getting delotted every six minutes um, before they could even put me in a room. Um, and he told me, he's like, I'm sorry. He's like, you're just bleeding too much. I had to put a, a drain in there and I know it was right there. Um, so after having that drain for two days, I finally pulled that and it was a big difference and I was able to go home. 
um, that first night, I actually got up to get something to drink and my legs just gave out and I just dropped to the floor. Um, and I had to, I yelled for my wife to come get me, get me up. So I, then I started, had to, I had to get a rollator, which is pretty much like a walker just to get around because my legs were completely locked up and, and it was, I mean, it was quite shitty. Um, well that week I had a buddy come in, he was a retired, uh, Lexington homicide detective. He came to give me a get well pack of some bourbon and stuff like that. And nice. well, um, he was telling me, he's like, Hey, uh, you might want to go up to the FOP lodge this Saturday. He said, there's um, some state reps and stuff there. And he said, I think the state FOP president's going to be there. It'd probably be a good thing to go up there and tell, talk to him about camp hero. Well, I'm good friends with a, a state rep here. Um, who's been working with that nature immersion program with me. And um, I called her and I said, Hey, were you invited to this FOP thing? And she's like, no, she said, I think it's just for like endorsement for people who are, you know, currently running and um, for office. And I said, okay. I said, well, you want to go with me? I said, I need a driver. And she's like, absolutely. So uh, the state rep came, picked me up and we went to the FOP lodge and, um, we went there and come to find out the governor was going to be there and also the person running for governor who is the attorney general. And, uh, so the attorney general shows up first and he gives his speech cause they were there for their, trying to get the state FOP endorsement for, you know, their campaign. campaign. And yeah. for, for the handful and, of people that may not know FOP is fraternal order of police. Yeah. And uh, so he was one, they wanted to get the police for, you know, Kentucky to endorse them as the candidate. Well, the attorney general comes up there first, says his spiel. And uh, anyone got any questions? Of course, I raise my hand. You know, I'm there with my role later and everything else. And I tell him who I am. I tell him my story. I tell him about Camp Hero um, and tell him about our program. And I pretty much said, I said, would this be something that you would be interested in supporting and everything? Well, that puts him on the spot. He's right there in front of the <laughs> FOP president. He's, you know, and there, I mean, and it's really hard to try to get in front of the people like that to talk to them, let alone I got to do it to both of the people running for governor and put him on the spot. And it was recorded <laughs> because it was live stream. So, of course, he had to say, yeah, I support everything. I support all that. I said, okay, good deal. And, and another thing that was great is I got to say, and I was I say I'm this program that I'm working on, I'm working with state representative Sherilyn Stevenson, who was right there, so that adds even more credibility. Um, well, he got to leave. Then the governor shows up. The governor shows up, says this feel. Anyone got any questions? Me, same thing. Did it all. Of course, he had to say, Yeah, I completely support all that. Um, part of the thing that I wanted to change is there was a house bill called House Bill 207 in Kentucky. And House Bill 207 provided millions of dollars for law enforcement mental health. The The problem with that was they re relied on the, the agencies to come up with the mental health programs for the officers. Well, 80% of the, the agencies in Kentucky are 10 or less officers. So you'll have maybe two administrative officers, the chief and maybe a captain. They're not going to come up with a mental health program. You know, so none of these people will be able to get any help because they're already bogged down with the regular daily activities. So I told them, I said, well, I want to amend House Bill 207 to where 
vetted vetted people like Camp Hero can provide these mental health resources and mental health programs and the state funds us for it. And he's like, you know what, that's a great idea. And, I, and then uh, and I also said, I also want to put in state law where if someone wants to go to a mental health program, they get sick time, they get paid time off. Because I said, I want to remove all these obstacles for people to get help. I don't want them to, you know, not be able to get time off because they can't go. Um, I don't want them to have to use their own time because if you're physically injured or physically sick, you get sick time. If you want it, but so you need to be able to go. And I want told him I wanted it in state law, so that way the chief or whatever they can't deny it because they'd be breaking the law. Well, it's, right. what's, what's amazing about that is like what you're trying to do is say, hey, you you don't have to take your vacation time that that is good for your mm-hmm. family and use that for to for yourself for your own well being and your mental health. Like that that should be part of the job. Exactly, and. Um, there and so the governor he actually came up to me in the state rep afterwards, and he he told me he's like, I think we can actually take care of both of those law things through regulations. What regulations is is it come it starts from the governor and goes down to um, the state reps, the state senate, instead of it going up to him to sign. And I've also got bipartisan support. She's a Democrat, and I've also got several Republicans that also support it. So it'll be easier to get approved. So I was like, that's great. Um, and, uh, you know, I told people, like I said earlier, you know, this is a, a God thing, like, because there's no possible way I would be able to get in front of the governor and the person running for governor and have their undivided attention and talk, talk about my program and talk about me unless there was, I mean, it just happened. I didn't even know they were going to be there. Yeah. And um, so that next uh, Monday, the next Monday, I had my first follow-up for my surgery. And this, when I met them, it was on a Saturday. So Monday, I had a follow-up from surgery, went to my surgeon, and I was like, hey, uh, I was like, when am I going to be able to drive? He's like, oh, I don't want you driving for at least another six weeks. And I'm like, God dang. I mean, we had our fun, big fundraiser, annual fundraiser coming up, uh, deer season coming up. I had to prep for that, for people coming. Because the, the first week of archery season, we're really busy because Kentucky is one of the few states you can get a velvet buck. So a lot of people want to come up there for a chance to kill a velvet buck, and um, you know, which was like three weeks from there. And I was like, man, I was like, God, dang, I can't wait another six weeks to drive. And, and uh, then I asked him, I said, well, when can I start drinking bourbon? And he's, like, he's like, you know, if I can't drive, I mean, let me at least sit home and drink. And he's like, oh, I don't want you drinking for another six weeks. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> well, as soon as we walked out of there, I walked out of there with my wife. I told her, I was like, well, that shit ain't gonna work. I said, what's he gonna do? Call the cops if I don't do what he says? And she's like, please, just wait till your two week mark. Just wait till your two week mark. And because I know my body, I I know when what I can do and. So sure enough, right on that two week mark to that day, I went and drove. I went and drank <laughs> bourbon and I, I did all that. I mean, not, I was like, I got shit to do. I can't just sit around. But um, anyways, that day that I had my follow up, uh, I was home. I was and it, it was a bad mental day because I was like, God, dang, you know, I had just talked to the governor. I had just talked to AG. You know, camps get ready, just go forward and blow up. And I'm like, and you know, now my my physical issues are gonna hold camp back. I'm like, it's 
you know, because I got a lot of great staff and directors, but I mean, I'm the face of camp. I'm the reason camp even started. And uh, I'm like, I don't want to hold it back because, you know, I'm dealing with this issue. And she's like, don't worry. She's like, you know, she's like, God will take care of us. And it wasn't like 10 minutes later, all of a sudden I get an email. Then an email from a lady from the Orca company. And she said, you know, we've heard about your program and your uh, nonprofit. We'd like to sponsor something. And I was like, okay. Um, well, our fundraiser is coming up. So I sent her our, our sponsors to list where she can be a sponsor at her fundraiser. She's like, no, no, uh, we want to sponsor a program. Uh, so we don't want to sponsor the, the event. And I was like, okay. So I sent her the Nature Emergent Program stuff, um, which the total cost of that's 250000 a year. That's to pay for nature, the Nature Reliance School and for the therapist to be there and then all the food and equipment. Um, but uh, so I sent her all that, you know, the breakdown of pro- costs, what the program is and stuff like that. And uh, she emails back. She's like, "Well, I don't think we can do the two hundred fifty thousand a year, but would fifty thousand dollars a year for three years help?" And I was like, "Well, shit, yeah. I mean, we'll right. definitely take that. I'm not gonna tell you no." Um, so, you know, I, I told my wife that, and she's like, "See, she's like, you're so worried about your physical issues holding camp back, but you just sat there on the couch and got one hundred fifty thousand dollars for camp." And I was like, I was like, yeah, I know you're, I hate to say you're right, you know, but yeah, you're right. And uh, so now with that funding, and then I let, you know, through Sherilyn Stevenson, I let her know about that funding and it being made official. We made it official in October um, when the contract with them started. And uh, she told me that the state now they're really big into corporate government, you know, teaming up to pay for stuff. She's like, I went and talked to the budget chair for the budget and they're super interested in your program and they want all your financials. And I was like, Oh heck yeah. I mean, I was like driving around somewhere. I pulled over and I pulled it all up on my phone and emailed it to her. I was like, here, here's all our nine ninety. Here's everything. And she said, well, what percentage of your funding comes from like individual donors. I said, 95% of our funding comes from individual donors. I said, I'm, I'm a retired cop. I mean, I, I get grants and stuff for us I, because I try on my own and I just write stuff up and I can know how to make stuff sound good sometimes. And I get grants, but I said, I don't, I'm not a grant writer and I don't, I, I don't know how to do that, but people believe in me and believe in our story and our purpose and what we do and that's why we get the individual donors um that we do and um and we're 100 volunteer everyone all of our staff b everyone it's all volunteer we don't get paid anything so 100 of the money goes directly to our program and to fund our program that's awesome um, and uh that's i mean for me running camp hero that's payment enough just being able to see people come out there laughing smiling you know, completely changing from the time that they get there to the time that they leave and seeing the effect that Camp Hero has on people, that's uh, that's 10 times payment enough. Um, like I was, I used to be so big, you know, deer season, I'd be there opening day and hunt every single time. Now it's like, well, I told a story last year, I killed a 175 inch velvet buck. Um, nice. 
I, it was the first buck I killed in seven years. My cousin had bought a hundred acres down the road from camp. Um, this was in July of last year. I put a camera out and some corn and this buck was there. And everyone was telling me like, Rocco, you have to kill this deer. You have to hunt this deer. I said, you put everyone else, you know, first you put everyone else on deer. And I hadn't killed a buck in seven years because I'm, I'm too worried. I, I, I'd rather see other people, you know, be able to kill deer. So sure enough, the, you know, I was able to pattern him opening evening of archery that killed him, shot him at 15 yards. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so now, I mean, I did that and I'm like, okay, I'm, I just want to keep putting other people on deer. Um, and we, like, I run over 30 cell cameras out here. We go through about a thousand pounds of corn a week, um, because I, I want to make sure when people come out for three or four days, I want to make sure they have the best experience possible and the best chance of being able to harvest an animal. Um, so, you know, a lot of people try to push numbers, be like, yeah, we'll just, you know, like an assembly line, just have people out there hunt and be like, yeah, good luck. You know, go out there. I, I don't have big numbers of people come out to hunt for a reason. I mean, I'll have most I'll have hours, maybe four at a time come out to hunt over the 3,200 acres. Cause I want to, make sure that they're in the best spots possible. So I want to have, have the best, you know, chance of being able to harvest a nice animal. And then, uh, you know, whether it's deer season, then turkey season, I'll have people come out and turkey hunt. And uh, it was great this year. I called in 16 turkeys for people um, and uh, 11 of them were killed. So nice. And uh, one of the guys that I took out and hunted, he was a 84-year-old Marine, Vietnam vet, retired gunny. He got um, medically retired because he ended up losing both of his legs just below his knees. And so I called in three birds for him, and he shot the biggest one. He shot the strutter. And uh, that was that was awesome. I mean, that was absolutely yeah. awesome to be able to do that. And uh, – he was actually supposed to come down for gun season this year, but he's having some heart issues. He's from uh, Southern Mississippi, so he wasn't able to make the trip. But to see him, you know, smiling and, you know, and it's funny is his name's JD. JD can't hear very well. So I'd spent two hours calling these birds. I called them up over the mountain, over the creek, and then finally to this little field we were in. It's a little food plot that we have out in the woods. And I was like, man, JD, did you hear me call him over the mountain? He's like, I didn't even hear him until they were just right here. And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> dang. I was like, I've been sitting here, you know, and I, I only use a diaphragm call. And I said, as I've been sitting here, you know, calling these, I mean, I was doing purrs, I was doing everything. I mean, I'm trying to get these birds to come up over the mountain, over a creek and everything else. And I didn't even have anyone to be able to share that I did that with because he couldn't hear them. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, it was great. If you look at our website, you scroll down, you'll see JD in the front of the cabin with his turkey. Um, then he's, there was he's a, a, is he the fellow that's wearing the German fleck pants? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That is so awesome. And uh, there was a couple that came out from Arizona um, and I called in birds for them. Actually, they were able to double the last morning they were there. They actually flew out that afternoon. Um 
we had went down this, uh, it was a lease that we had, it was 276 acres, never been hunted. And uh, so I went down this creek bottom and heard a bird gobble. And it ended up, I called it in. Um, he, he, the husband shot it. And uh, she was all upset because it was actually her turn to shoot, but it was on the wrong <laughs> others. It was on the other side of the tree. That's where it was. And that's, you know, because it flew over the bottom and then came from the other way. Um, but I was like, man, I heard other birds. Let's just keep going. So we we marked where his bird was and we kept walking down the draw. And uh, I just kept calling, aggressively calling. Finally, a bird like hammered. And, and then I was like, I think I heard the bird. And then you could hear it is coming closer. And it was like, oh, shit, we got to sit down right now. And we sat down and she, it came in and she killed it. So they both got killed birds within like 20 minutes of each other. And that picture cool. was on the website where they're both standing there in the road with the turkeys over their shoulder. But it was, yeah, it was awesome. This last season, you know, just being able to go out there and, you know, call these birds in for people and have them experience that. And, uh, it's, I, I, like I said, this is my purpose now camp hero is and being able to have people out there and you know and my wife she understands that you know i'm away from her like a lot especially during deer season from october to december i'm probably home a total of 20 days um and uh like i'm getting ready to leave for camp tomorrow and i and i won't be back home till the 19th um because we'll be hosting people down there and uh so She's very understanding. She knows that Camp Hero is beneficial, not only for the other people, but for me, for my mental health. Um, and she knows that I need it, not, you know, to, to be able to, because it's my purpose. You know, this is, even though I'm, you know, disabled and physically, but this is my purpose to be able to keep my mental health straight. I got to tell you, Rocco, you... <clears throat> You're my hero, not because you're a Navy veteran, not because you're former law enforcement, but because you you also hunt with disabilities. Now, you said you uh, I, I have also had a surgical fusion, so I have a metal disc in my neck. Mm -hmm. I've had a lumbar fusion, so I have four screws in my back and uh, I had uh, an SI joint fusion. So I have three rods in my hip. So the yeah. fact that you are so motivated and you still get out there, whether it's oh, for yeah. you to hunt or for you to motivate others, you just inspired me, bro, to know that. Because now I'm th now I'm looking at everything like, okay, man, if Rocco's out there doing it, then I, even I can do it. You know what I mean? Oh, Rocco, yeah. Rocco, Rocco knows what it's like when the metal and the temperature starts to bother oh, your yeah. metal in your body. You know? Rocco gets it, but he still drives on. So you, you like oh, I said, yeah. you motivated me, bro. So thank oh. you. I Definitely. appreciate it. Yeah, Definitely, it's, man. it's one of those things that's the the excitement, the mental health the benefits outweigh the pain. I'll, I'll deal with the pain and I'll deal with all that. But if, you know, people have asked me, like, if you never got hurt, um, you know, or this says, if, if, would you, if everything that's happened, would you let it happen again because of what's, you know, what it's turned into. And I said, absolutely. Everything that I've gone through from physical to the mental health and everything else to get to where I'm at and um, to realize that this, you know, even though throughout my whole life, you know, I thought I was going to be a career Navy person, then I thought I was going to be a career police officer. Then I realized this is what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. And 
And um, that's, you know, if I had to, everything that I've been through, that's all part of my story. And it's the same thing, you know, it makes me tear up. But um, same thing I tell people all the time, all the negative stuff you go through, that makes you the person you are right now. Right. Um, because you, you can't always have, you, you got to have bad days to be able to compare them to the good ones. Um, cause you don't know how good a day is, you know, if you don't have any bad days. And, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that, that, uh, yeah, you, you will continue to be blessed. Um, because you're, you're not only out there doing this because it's good for your mental health, but you say, man, I got brothers and sisters, both military and first responders that could benefit from this also. So I want to share this. Uh, and, oh, and that's, yeah. that's exceptional brother. I appreciate it. Yeah. That's, you know, um, when I, when it is like the very first day when I went down there, I was like, I want, this feels amazing. I want to share it with others. And, you know, and I've had people tell me, be like, like, dude, you're, this is amazing. And they're like, I don't know if I'd be able to share it and let other people come out here and hunt. Because like right now, I mean, the rut's just now starting. And I think we got like four or five booners out there on camera. And they're like, and they're, and uh, I'm I was so super excited because I've got a, a really good friend of mine who uh, is Army combat vet coming from South Carolina. He'll be here tomorrow on the weekend. And um, he actually has a podcast stuff called Whiskey and Whitetails. Um, but, uh, he's a super good guy and he came, he's been out for like three years now. He's been friends with me and he's one of the people I, I was, I remember one of the first times I, I took him out to his hunting spot and we're driving on the side by side and, you know, I'm sitting there talking about how it was a situation and how it made me feel and stuff. And he like looked at me and he's like, I thought I was the only person that felt like that. He's like, you don't know how much that how much that benefits me from hearing that other people, you know, felt that way in that situation. And from then, it's just we we clicked. And you know, I'm one of those people. I I talk about all my week times, um, all the like. I, I I every time when I don't speak in front of people, I tell them I was suicidal. I tell them I was thinking about ways to kill myself. Um, you know, it's. It, it lets other people know, hey, it, it's I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who's thought that way. I'm I'm not the only one that's dealing with this. And um, everything that I've found that'll benefit that benefits me, I share it with others. You know, he'd be like, hey, you know, try this. You know, I found out this helps me. Try this. Um, and then, uh, as far as therapy, I have a lot of people. You know, I've asked them, like, hey, did you go therapy or have you tried therapy? And they're like, no, therapy doesn't work for me. And I'm like, well, how many times did you go? Oh, I only had one. I was like, no, therapy works. That therapist didn't work. I said, it's okay to fire your therapist. You you just need to find someone that you connect with. Um, you know, that's and it, it works. You just have to find someone you connect with because what people do is they think, therapy is a cookie cutter thing, you know, a therapist or a cookie cutter thing, and it's all going to be the same and they're all going to, you know, do the same thing. And, uh, it's not, I mean, if you don't, if you go to therapy and you don't like it, you don't like that person, go to another one. And it might take 10 people that you'll go through before you find someone to be like, Hey, this person gets it. And I, I enjoy just coming in here. Even if you just go in there and bullshit with them, 
You know, it, it's nice to talk to someone outside your circle. And I tell people that all the time, someone who's not within your life all the time, you can be able to go to talk to, and it's you're talking to someone with an open mind who is giving you that outside the box, you know, information and suggestions. Right on, right on. Now, I wanted to ask you um, just two things. Um, what does female participation look like for as far as veterans or first responders for you? And then uh, uh, second, just uh, are veterans from or first responders from out of state, are they able to apply with you? Yep, um, absolutely. On the first one, um, yeah, we have females that come out. It's the numbers aren't as big as males, of course, yeah. but you know, females are more than welcome to come out. We've had them come out before, and even you know, we've had all female hunts, uh, all female veteran hunts before. So, yeah, it, it, as long as they want to come, I mean, they're more than welcome. Um, out of state people, absolutely. We have people come from everywhere in the country um, to come out and do stuff. Um, we also do trips. We do road trips too. Uh, every year we take two to three disabled vets to Arizona to elk hunt. Um, we just we just took uh, we took two disabled vets to Arizona this year, and they both killed bulls um, six by sixes. One of them, his was absolutely monstrous, um, over 900 pounds. They actually had to cut it in half to put it <laughs> to, to take it out and put it in the side by side. But um, we also do we do trips to Florida, do gator hunts, hog hunts, iguana hunts, um, and all that. We actually have a. Um, oh, don't tell me that. I'm in Florida, so don't tell me that. You get me excited, <laughs> oh, man. I, I hook you up. We're uh, doing. Uh, we're going to be doing a veteran uh, waterfowl hunt um, during the veteran waterfowl season in Florida, the first weekend of February. Um, nice. So, you know, if that's something you're interested in, let me know. And, Definitely. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get you in there. And um, we do trips up to Lake Erie to go walleye fishing. Um, so not only do we do stuff there at home, we want to give people an opportunity to do something they normally would never get a chance to. Um, and, and again, it's, it costs absolutely nothing. And a lot of people have, they can't believe it. They're like, well, how much does it cost? I said, nothing. And, um, even when we don't have events, people can call and be like, Hey, I, is it okay if I come out? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, if my goal is to be able to have someone enjoy that every single day of the year out there, um, and, I don't have to necessarily be out there either because everything has code locks. Um, so I don't have to be there to unlock anything. Everything's there, especially if they just want to go out there and decompress and get away. Um, my buddy from Chicago, Chicago PD, then 2020 when they were having the riots and stuff up there, he had worked for four months straight without a day off. And he said, I, I need time off. It, can I, my wife and I come down for a weekend? I said, sure, absolutely. He's like, well, what did it cost? Nothing. Just come on. And he went down there, got to relax, take it easy, not have to worry about anything. And, you know, that's what it's for. Um, that's, you know, it's because it, stuff comes up, you know, if all of a sudden you're like, I just need to get away. You know, uh, people reach out to me. Is anyone going to be at camp this weekend? No. Do you mind if me and my buddy just go there and hang out and just relax? No, go ahead. You know, 
So it's, nice. it's, it, it's great to have something like that to be able to share with people. That's a, that's all awesome, man. And I'm, I'm really excited about your, your maintenance program, um, your mental health maintenance program. Yeah. Of course, I'm excited about the hunting and, and, and the fact yeah. that you got a stream on the property and all that's pretty awesome. But the, the maintenance program is, that's really awesome because you're headed off at the pass. Mm-hmm. You know, you're giving, allowing somebody to decompress and reconnect before it gets out of hand. Um, and that's exceptional. That's that's really really an awesome program. Um, amongst many other awesome programs, with what you're doing, it's really really cool, man. No, I appreciate it. And what we're because there's no other program like that in the country. What we're trying to do is we want to show that this works. Um, we want it to be kind of like the the model for. I'd love to have it like a camp hero in every state where people can do the exact same thing. Uh, because it's so easy. I mean, you're getting in the outdoors, you're being able to fellowship with other people that are just like you, and you're being able to decompress. It's, it's, and we call it like an outside the box type of therapy um, because vets and first responders are type A type people. You know, if you tell them, like, hey, I think we need to go talk to someone, they're like, no, I, I, I can fix myself. You know, I don't need to go talk to someone. But if you say, hey, you want to go down here and hang out and, you know, do some survival stuff or whatever. They're like, oh, absolutely. But they don't know they're getting the same type of treatment. Yeah. And they're having and they're having fun and they're possibly creating lifelong peer support by meeting these people. And when people you know, people of action, you know, oftentimes like we we have our missions, we have our job, we have our, our things that we're doing that we push, you know, the feelings aside, we push our own well-being mm-hmm. aside because we have a mission and or, or, or a job to continue on with. And at some point you, you hit a breaking point where if you're actually able to, to, to deal with it and cope and, and, and have that downtime before you get to that point, mm-hmm. you can save you a whole hell of a lot of heartache. Exactly. And I tell people all the time, I said, you can't help other people or do anything with tell the people unless you take care of yourself first. Right on, right on. That's the way to do it. Definitely the way to do it. Well, that's awesome, man. We we really appreciate you coming on um, and talking about your program with us. Um, you know, in in the future, if if you'd like to come back as as a guest again, and and uh, we'd love to hear more of your hunting stories. Um, you know, uh, excited about that. Um, and also even like some of, some of your people that have been there, been in the program, if they'd like to come on and, and talk with us, mm-hmm. uh, we'd be interested in talking with them. And, awesome. Uh, and uh, also, camp, we have the fastest internet east of the Mississippi River in that county. Um, it's actually, there is a, a story done, is uh, the fastest internet in a county that only has one traffic light. There's one traffic light in the whole <laughs> county. But I've got fiber internet out there, and it is it is the fastest internet east of the Mississippi River. And um, so I've had several people come out and actually do live podcasts and do or do regular podcasts from down there where they record it. So, right. you know, we could always do a bullets, blades and hooks, you know, from Camp Hero too. <laughs> I love that, man. That's awesome. I appreciate yeah. you extending so, that to us. Yeah. You guys are always welcome. And uh, maybe we can set something up. You guys come out there and we'll, we can do it from there. That'd be right great. On. That'd be great. So, all right. Well, again, this, this is Rocco from, from Camp Hero. Um, Check them out. Go check out the website. Check out the Facebook page. I, I'll let you give the plugs there, and then we will uh, we'll make sure all the links and stuff are in the podcast description when we put the podcast out. Um, 
but yeah, let everybody know where, you know where all they can find you, what all avenues they can find you on. Um, I guess Cass found you uh, through uh, Instagram. So yeah. Also, so yeah. you're, so you're kind of all over the socials. Yeah, you can. Uh, our website's camphero.ky.org. And um, there's a spot on there where you can click and where it says registration. And it's a sign up whether you're a vet first responder or if you just want to volunteer, there's an op- you know place there. You can sign up for that. Um, we're on Facebook under Camp Hero Kentucky and also on Instagram under Camp Hero KY. So, yep, feel free. To, my contact information is on the website, my phone number and email. So if you need to reach out. And if it's something that I can't help you with, I've got a lot of connections and resources that I'll point you in the right direction. So that's awesome. Well, once again, brother, thank you. I, I truly appreciate it. Um, thank, and, uh, thank you all for having me. Right, bro. Salute. Hell yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bullets, Blades, and Hooks. Be sure to visit our YouTube channel and Facebook page for more exciting content. If you or someone you know would like to be a participant on our show, please feel free to email us at bbh at dvradio.net. Salute. DVRadio.